Good morning, Journey. Nice to see you all. Uh, my name is Chris. Really glad you're here. Uh, I think sometimes we, we should just acknowledge that we, we shouldn't take this for granted that we all showed up in this place on this day at this time. Really, really, you could be anywhere else doing anything else. And so I think it's just fun sometimes to acknowledge that we're here together sharing this space. Uh, I think on some level, there's something inside of every single one of us that is expectant that the, the Spirit of God would want to teach us in some way, shape us in some way, open up our, our eyes and our lives to something that he might have for us. And so here we are believing that he's going to actually do that. Uh, you, you find us today in a series that we're calling The Way of Jesus, Radical Love in Action. And this series is doing a couple things. It's connecting us to the way of Jesus and how we might live that way uh, ourselves. But it's also a move that it lets you understand who we are as a church, the direction we're going, what we're about as you become a part of this and we go in a, a direction together. That direction is the way of Jesus. Within that, today... We're starting a, a three-week series within the series focusing on the generosity of Jesus. And not just because Jesus shows us the way of generous living, but even just practically speaking, Jesus spends a lot of time talking about money. And so we've kind of got like at the beginning of a series within a series, which is fitting because today I'm going to preach a, a two-part sermon, which is like a sermon within a sermon. So we have sermon and series inception day. And you just like keep going deeper and deeper. And I don't know where we'll land in all of that. If you have no idea what a two-part sermon is, it's this. I will preach one part. I will finish and start the second part and then conclude the second part and I will have preached a two-part sermon. So it's, it's pretty profound. Um, I, think, I think you'll like it. Uh, part one begins with Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. And we're not gonna put those verses up right now. You have them on your notes page because what I would really like you to do is, is just as best you can, imagine you are here with us in this place. So I'm gonna read about Jesus and some disciples and some crowds of people. I want you to imagine that you are there as this all takes place. And so I'm gonna read it from Matthew 14, then I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna dive into the text. So here's what's going on. Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Let's pray. God, we again, we thank you 
for the opportunity to be here in this place on this day. We thank you for the gift of, of singing and, and, and praising you through song. We thank you for the opportunity to pray, not, not only for ourselves, but for people all over this world. And we know that you long to hear from us and we thank you for that as well, God. We thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you for the opportunity to open up the scripture and learn more of who you are and what you're like and, and how that might shape the way we live our lives. And so God, today I pray that that would be true, that we would receive whatever it is you have for us. We would, we would set before you anything that might keep us from hearing from you, that we would have open eyes, open ears, open hearts to receive from you as individuals and as a church family. God, we know that you're already here, you're already present, you're already moving, and you long to speak to each one of us. And so we welcome you. I pray for myself, God, that you would give me your words to speak I pray that I wouldn't say anything that's not for you or from you, God, and that everything we do in our time together this morning would honor you, make much of you, and help us to fall more and more in love with you, God. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So the, the generosity of Jesus reveals itself actually in the lifestyle of Jesus, or the way that he would live his life. And so as for us followers of Jesus, we have to pay close attention to the rhythms and the ways of Jesus to truly understand how he embodied a lifestyle of generosity. Part one of today's sermon is a picture of the generosity of Jesus, but it might not be quite what we think. So let's dive into our portion of scripture and we will see where that leads us. Matthew 14 13 reads like this. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. And so you have to do your best again to enter into this story and imagine what this was like as Jesus boarded a boat, floated across the sea to a remote area where he wanted to be by himself, and he steps out of the boat. Right, but, but what's more important for us to ask when we read this is it was after Jesus heard some news. So we have to ask, what news? What happened? Why was he on a boat trying to be by himself? Why did he want to be alone? Well, what had just happened is John the Baptist, his friend and his cousin, had just been beheaded. So John the Baptist was in prison because he was telling the king that he shouldn't marry certain people who were related and stuff, you know, like normal things you might tell somebody. He didn't like that, so he put him in prison. And, and so while he was in prison, the king had a party. And at the party, somebody danced real nice. This girl came in. She did a real nice dance. He was like, that's the best dance I've ever seen. I will give you anything you want. And so she went and talked to her mom and her mom said, well, what you want is John the Baptist's head on a platter, right? Parents are always trying to convince their kids what it is they want and it goes really south really fast. And so she says to the king, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so the king did not actually want to kill John the Baptist uh, because he knew a riot might follow that, but he had promised this. And so apparently that's where his morals were. He was a man of his word in this regard. And, and so he presents John the Baptist's head on a platter. It was gruesome. And when this happens, the followers, the disciples of John the Baptist come to find Jesus and his disciples and report what has happened. 
And so Jesus has just heard that John the Baptist has been gruesomely killed. And this was his cousin, this was his friend. He's the one who baptized him. And now he is dead. And so not only is Jesus mourning and brokenhearted because of the loss of his friend, it's this reminder of what he signed up for too. Right, this foreshadowing of the way that he's probably going to go. What might happen to Jesus is what happened to John the Baptist, that sort of thing. And so in the midst of all of that, Jesus gets this news and he needs to go away. He needs to be alone. He needs to mourn. He needs to grieve. And it's at this point that we begin to relate to Jesus and what he might be feeling. We know what it's like to be broken. We know what it's like to grieve. We know what it's like to lose somebody we love and care about. We can relate to what Jesus was feeling. And that's what was going on as he gets on this boat and heads across. And so then verse 14, as he lands Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. But so, so that first verse is so important to this to understand where Jesus was coming from in all of this because in the midst of Jesus's grief and heartbreak in the midst of his desire to find a place to mourn he steps from this boat and he's met by a crowd a crowd that traveled from all over by foot to be with him right like you you can imagine the scene he steps from the boat and it's like just mass of people coming in on him. And as we find out later about all the people that are there, because we know what's going to happen, it's like, it's a lot of people. This is a massive crowd that closes in on Jesus. And so here in this moment is when we see the generosity of Jesus on display. He's generous with his time. He's generous with his expectations of what he had planned. And he's even generous with his own grief. Jesus embraces in that moment as he steps from the boat, the uncomfortable and the inconvenient. That is not what he had in mind. And he embraces that not because it's just the right thing to do. He embraces it because he saw the people. Did you catch that part? He saw them. And when he saw them, he had compassion. He was moved to compassion when he identified their humanity, their need, their desire to be with him, and that moved him to compassion. I have this, this friend, his name's, his name's Brad, and, and Brad, Brad used to be homeless. And I, I met Brad in, in Phoenix about a year and a half ago. But the way I met Brad was kind of unique. So, so Brad's a, an older man, he's in his 60s, and he spent a lot of his life uh, homeless and he had some really like intentional ways in which he, he made sure he was safe and he slept and, and that sort of thing because an older man on the streets isn't always in the safest place. And so what he would do is he would wait until all of the lights were shut off at our church. And our church was in central Phoenix, downtown Phoenix, so really a busy area. And he'd wait till all the lights were turned off. And then when the lights turned off, he would, he would come up close to the, the church building and that's where he would sleep. There were kind of like these, these walls that, that protected you from the street. So it's a, it's a noisy area, but something like was guarding you from people on the sidewalk or, or that sort of thing. And so he'd always wait till all the lights were off. I hadn't met him at this point though. And then on one Wednesday night, after I had spent time with our high school students, I, I 
had already shut off all the lights in the building, but I had forgotten to just check to make sure a door was pulled shut. So if all the doors aren't pulled shut, then the alarm goes off and then I got to come back at midnight and check on it, right? So, so you go and you pull all the doors shut. And so everything's dark and I get to the door where, where Brad ends up being. And so I see Brad through, through the glass. He doesn't see me because it's pitch black inside. And, and at that point in time, I go, I can still pull that door shut and he'll never know I was here. Like that was my, that was my first thought. I just spent some time talking to high school students about what it means to follow Jesus. And like, like oh, okay, God, you can see a little bit more of what you're doing. At that moment, I saw Brad. Like I saw Brad. So I walked outside, I opened the, the door. I said, hey, my name's Chris. You know, can I, can I get you anything? You need anything? And he's like, I could use a bottle of water, which is a common request from people living on the streets in Phoenix. And so anything else? No. Okay, so I go and get some water and I bring him back a couple bottles of water. And, and I say, well, if, if you need anything else, just, just let me know. Like, I, I'm, one of, I'm one of the pastors here. I, I can help you if, you if you need help. You know, not necessarily knowing what that entails. Um, and, which I guess is the point. And so he's like, well, hey, do you, do you have a business card? I'm like, well, believe it or not, I actually have a business card that I've never handed to anybody in my life. But the first time I'm going to do it is going to be to you, Brad. And so I hand Brad my business card and I, he's got my personal phone number on it. Like, okay, you can call me. I still have a giant box of business cards from my time at, at the Church of Phoenix that I never used, but one I handed to Brad. And so I gave it to Brad and, and, and so he called me and he called me the next and the next day. And when we like developed this relationship. And I, I learned to, to love him and become his friend. And he, he does not live on the street anymore. Um, like he, I mean, he kind of barely gets by at times. He lives off of food stamps and food banks and uh, makes ends meet the way he can make ends meet. But I'll tell you more about that in part two of the sermon. Uh, so yeah, I guess you guys stick around, right? But, but the, 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 the point is, this was one of the times in my life where I was able to figure out what was going through the mind of Jesus and the heart of Jesus. I saw Brad, I had compassion on him and I went to him. And it turns out that he blessed my life probably more than I ever blessed his, but that's another story. So all of that to say, what would it have been like to be Brad? What would it have been like to be the crowd? Because maybe that's the only thing you need to hear today is that Jesus sees you, that Jesus has compassion on you and he longs to heal you. Like that's what we get from Jesus so far up to this point in the story. The story continues then like this as Jesus has been healing all day. It says in verse 15, that evening the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place which Jesus already knows, that's why he went there, right, to begin with. This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. And so I think it's at this point, if, if you've ever heard the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, uh, that for me anyway, I typically like, man, those bumbling disciples, man, 
right? Like we, we have this tendency to be really hard on the disciples. Why are you sending everybody away? You know, and I think we have a tendency to be hard on the disciples because we have a tendency to be hard on ourselves. And we look at ourselves that same way. And here's what I think. The disciples weren't being stupid. They weren't being faithless. They weren't being selfish. They had legitimate care and concern for these people. Like they wanted them to get something to eat. And so the only way they knew how to do that in this remote place was to send them to a village where there would be food and they could get it for themselves. Like it's a very genuine concern for these people. So on some level, I think the way of Jesus was already rubbing off on them because they saw the massive crowd and they said to themselves, we have to take care of them too. However, at this point in time, they did not yet have the imagination of Jesus. They had generous hearts, but they had not yet developed the imagination of Jesus that fuels his generosity to think beyond what's just in front of them, to think beyond of what they just have a hold of. And so as we look at Jesus teaching his disciples and ultimately us what this lifestyle of generosity looks like, we have to pay special attention to Jesus's three words when he says, you feed them. You feed them. And like, you just have to imagine being a disciple, which we should be able to imagine because we too are disciples. But like, when you go to Jesus and you present the problem and a solution, and he says, new solution, you feed them. And you go, okay, well, we've got five loaves and two fish. But like, so, so essentially they offer literally all they have. They have five loaves, and two fish, that's what they can offer. And it doesn't say in this account where that came from. The account in John says that this came from a little boy who had a lunch packed for him essentially. And he was the one who had five loaves and two fish. So we don't know where it came from, but somehow they got their hands on five loaves and two fish for like 15,000 people. Right, 5,000 men and all the women and children. Like this is a massive group of people. And if you're just sitting there and Jesus says you feed them and you can hold everything you have in your arms, you're like, I don't know where this is going, right? Like they pulls out his like pocket knife. It's like a tiny little slice. It's like, I'm not sure this is gonna work, right? Like they, but they give everything they have how this will contribute to the great need of the massive crowd, they don't know yet, but the reality is that something in them says, but at the very least, this is all we have. We're here, let's figure out what's gonna happen. They show up with everything they have. And so I think at this point, the, the questions for reflection would be like, would we do that? Will we do that? Like if, if, if someone needs it and we have it, does that settle it? Is it that simple for us? The rest of the story goes like this. Then he, that's Jesus, told the people to sit down on the grass. And I just want to note something in terms of the shift in language that Matthew uses as he's telling this story. Up to this point, it was the crowds showed up. There was a crowd that showed up to meet Jesus and they asked how to, meet, uh, how to feed the crowds. And now the language that Matthew uses is that they're people. 
right? He's, he's humanized him even in a different way. I'm not sure if that was intentional because I just noticed it last service, but hey, here's what's going on, right? So then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. And if you, you can't miss the power of this moment, you have to, don't, don't pretend like you've, like you've never heard this before. What would that have been like? You're like, all right, Jesus, this is all we've got. And you, you hand it to Jesus and you're like looking at this massive crowd of people and you hand it to him and he takes it and he looks up towards heaven and he blesses it. And you're like, oh, I don't know if that's gonna do anything. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. Man, what would that have been like? Just like... Keeps, I don't know, right? Like, he just keeps going. They come back and he's like, still breaking, still breaking. After they distributed it to the people, they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers, which is more than what they started with. About 5,000 men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. Remember when Jesus told the disciples, you feed them. Turns out they did. Like they literally were the ones who fed them. Think about that. Like I love the way that Jesus longs to include us. He's teaching them in this moment to see the people, to have compassion and meet their needs. Because you know what, when you distribute bread to these people in the crowd. What, what are you forced to do? Interact with those people face to face. You're literally handing them something that will sustain them. This is for you. This is for you. This is for you. This is for you. This personal interaction of meeting somebody face to face, having compassion on what's going on and giving them something that they need. Like there's something extra powerful about a face-to-face interaction with someone. Jesus understands this and it constantly drives his lifestyle of generosity to be face-to-face with those in need. Who do you need to see face-to-face? What does that look like for you? And then another moment that I, I think we should pay special attention to is the fact that Jesus is breaking the bread Right, if Jesus does not break it, he cannot distribute it. Which is in and of itself a really powerful principle. Right, because Jesus then embodies that literally. His body is broken and that's what he shares. And so it is his call to all of us to be broken for the sake of Jesus so that we too might be distributed and shared as his people. If we are not broken, we cannot be shared. Jesus says, if the bread cannot be broken, it cannot be shared. If my body, which is the bread of life, is not broken, it cannot be shared. And so it is with our lives as well. And then as we move from Jesus to the disciples, we now ask, like, what if we're supposed to be one of the crowd? Right, the ones who showed up from another town on foot Right, like listening to the radio that's telling you where Jesus is gonna land and you hustle over there and you meet him. Like we're the ones seeking healing, a touch from Jesus. What if that's who we are? What if we're the ones who are hungry and in need? 
If that's us, will we stay? Will we wait on Jesus like the crowds did? My friend recently shared this story of Jesus feeding the the 5,000 with a a 15-year-old Syrian girl who was a refugee in Jordan. So he was in Jordan sharing this story. They didn't didn't, uh, open up the Bible. They were just telling these stories of Jesus. And so they tell the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then this girl, she knew knew little to nothing uh, of the ways of Jesus, let alone his lifestyle of generosity and all that that embodied. And so as he's sitting there with these people and he shares the story upon hearing it, they're asked, you know, what is this? teach you about God. And this girl, this 15-year-old girl, Muslim Syrian refugee girl says, well, this teaches me that if we're patient and we wait on God, he will provide for us. She saw it from the perspective of the people who knew they didn't have food, who knew they were far away from food, and who still chose to stay and listen to Jesus. What an an interesting shift that is to view the story from that angle. There's something different going on there. And I think about like, what does it even mean to have people in our lives where we can maybe be those in the crowd and ask for help? How How are we surrounded by people who can answer that need too? And then imagine you're in the crowd and the bread and the fish start coming around. And the, you're, you're hungry and the food starts coming. Like imagine like the, the swell of adrenaline that would have taken place in that setting. Thousands of people all sitting down like, all right, we're gonna wait it out. And like just, there's not a whole lot of disciples handing out food to thousands of people and like slowly people are getting more food. And it's like, it's, they're having enough even. There's not even. There's not even a scarcity of food. There's gonna be leftovers and they start eating and everyone's eating and thousands and thousands of people are now eating this meal that Jesus and his disciples provided for him. What, what would that have felt like? And so, so maybe, maybe today, like well, what if for today, you're, you're just to, to remember that you're seen and that Jesus has compassion for you and he longs to heal you. Or maybe today, though, you get to ask the question, do I have five loaves and two fish? Because of course you do. We all do. It just looks different. Whatever our fish and loaves are is different. And so with that in mind, like we ask God, God, what, what do I have that you want me to use for other people? God, what, what do I have that you want to break and distribute? Like now what? God. Let, it, let us think like Jesus thinks. Let's call on his blessing and let's let him then hand out what he has for us to give. Let's take on the mind of Jesus. It's as if Jesus was saying all along to these people, stay here and watch me heal others and then we'll eat. And eating just seems to be one of the most common ways that Jesus uses to display and initiate his lifestyle of generosity. It's always these eating moments when he's connecting everyone to one another and to himself. Part two of our sermon will show us this. Part two. Part two is about this guy named Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus 
was a wee little man. <laughs> and it, if you have church background, it's this terrible song about Zacchaeus where they call him small and I'm always offended, right? Like on behalf of all small people, it's a very offensive song about how small Zacchaeus is. So there's this guy named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. So he's just not your everyday run-of-the-mill corrupt tax collector. He's chief of the tax collectors. And in order to be a Jewish man who's the chief of the tax collectors, to be a chief tax collector, you would have had to buy your way into this position. And you would have had to buy your way into this by running over your own people, by climbing over your own people, by doing things that are unfair and unjust, taking advantage of those that you know, that you've grown up with, and you would slowly keep climbing and buying your way and climbing. And the thing about Zacchaeus is that he was always a climber. So Zacchaeus would do whatever he needed to do to have the most money, to have the most influence, to live the life he wanted to live. And then one day, in the town of Jericho, Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up in Jericho, everybody wants to get a glimpse of Jesus because now word has spread on who he is and what he's up to. It, it might just be a sight to behold for some people or really maybe there's people looking for someone who might say to them that you can belong, they, they, this is for you. But whatever the case, Zacchaeus knows Jesus is coming and Zacchaeus being a little smaller couldn't quite catch a glimpse of Jesus and so he climbs a tree. And so Zacchaeus, the climber that he always was, climbs a tree. And he's sitting up in this tree looking at Jesus. And Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, the climber, and he says, Zacchaeus, calls him by name. Come down from that tree and have me over to your house. And everybody's like, no. That's the house you're going to, Jesus? The chief tax collector, the dude who's just been just raking us over the coals, taking our money, taking advantage of us. He's been climbing all over us. You're going to let him come to your house or you're going to go to his house and eat with him. So Zacchaeus jumps down. He's pretty excited. He's been chosen to have a meal with Jesus. So they show up. Everybody's all grumbling about it. Yet something happened during that meal where Zacchaeus the climber decided he didn't want to be Zacchaeus the climber anymore. He gives half of his wealth to the poor. One meal with Jesus. And like everything that he had, he goes, I'm giving half of that to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody else, he says, I'm gonna give them back four times as much. You're like, what? Because you had a meal with Jesus? And Jesus says, and there's salvation in your home today, your whole family is where they're supposed to be now because I came to seek and save those who were lost and you were lost as you climbed that tree. You were lost as you climbed that ladder. You're lost as you climbed over people and he released it and he gave it away and something changed in Zacchaeus that day. And I told you, I was gonna tell you the rest of the story about my friend Brad. Well, this story begins with a meal as well. It was Easter and so we went to Easter service and my parents were in town and my wife's parents were in town. And we, we got together and we, we had an, an Easter brunch, I suppose you call it, right? And Brad was there with us. And after Easter brunch, Brad, Brad said, he'd been asking this for a while. He's like, hey, I need you to go to the casino with me. Right, because it's Easter. So that's... 
actually, so this is how Brad made his money. Brad was unable to get a job for lots of reasons, not a time for that. And so what he would do is he would get these casino cards and they would be special casino cards because they had to belong to people who were 55 and older. So they were old people casino cards. And when you had one of those special cards, you would go to the casino and you would spin a wheel on a certain day and and it would land on something and they would put money on your card. So like $10 or whatever. So you had $10 house money on your casino card. And he had a stack of, you know, like five or so cards and he would run them through the machine He'd play the $10 through and then he'd keep whatever it was. Brad, while maybe employment was a struggle for him, what he was able to do is he was really good with numbers and he was really good with math and he was able to calculate the machine that would take the least amount off the top and and it essentially would screw him the least. And, And so what he found was that it was 25 cent poker, jacks are better. That's the one you play, okay? And so you go to that machine and you put your card in, you swipe it, and now you got $10 to play. And so the reason that he needed us to go is that he needed my parents' cards. Well, you, you just called them old in your head, didn't you? He needed their cards. And then if I signed up for a card as well, just initially when you sign up, the casino puts $10 on your card, right? So essentially, this is how they get you addicted to gambling. So you should be mad at the system in general right now. But what we can appreciate is that Brad is taking from the rich and giving to himself, the poor. <laughs> and, and so, so we go there and we sign up for these cards and Brad's like, he doesn't want us to be at the casino on Easter. He doesn't want to be at the casino, period. That's not the life he's wanting to live. But he knows this is how he's going to get by. And so we rush in, we get our cards. There's some specific instructions when we go and sign up for him. He's like, ask for two. You don't get double the money. It's just in case he loses one. So we've got two cards each and we go to the machine. We hustle over, like we're trying to keep up with him. He's just cruising. You know, he goes over to the machine. He puts each card in three cards. So he plays $30 through the machine. You can't take the $10 that they put on the card until you've played it through the machine. And so he plays it through the machine he plays it through the machine, he plays it through the machine. And at the end of all of that, he's positive $28, right? Which you see what the casino just did there too. And and so he's got $28, he pushes the ticket, print, print ticket, prints out his ticket. Again, you don't interact with people at a casino, you interact with machines. And so he goes over to a machine and he puts his ticket in and it spits out the cash. We don't know where he went. He just, off he goes. We're like standing in the casino, like, where's Brad? We don't want to be here. We're, this is weird. And, and so finally Brad comes back and he's come back and he has an envelope. He had, he had grabbed an envelope from our church, like a giving envelope. And on the front of the envelope, he had written good news, India. Good News India is an organization that we partnered with at my previous church that that cared for orphans in in India and put them into schools and gave them these really cool Christian education. Like Google it and give your money there too. It's a really cool place. And and, and so he wrote on the front of that Good News India and he handed me the envelope and it had all $28 in it. And he he said, thanks thanks for coming on Easter with me. I wanted to give the, the first part of that to, to Good News India. He would use the cards later on for, for himself and to, to make his living. But I, every time I, I reflect on that story, I wrote it down. Like that day, I wrote it all down. And I just, I go back and read it. And I'm, I reflect on, did it happen on Easter? That we'd had a big meal before that. And that Brad's heart was so in line with the, the, the heart of Jesus that I, I can't help but be 
challenged, changed, inspired, whatever it is by somebody like Brad. And there was something about him giving that away that was so easy for him because he had, he had known what it was like to receive and he'd also known what it was like to have nothing. And, and he just, you have a meal, you see people differently, you have compassion and you give where there's need. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. I thank you for your son, Jesus, who models for us uh, a life of generosity with all things. And so God, I ask that as we follow your son, Jesus, we would follow him into places that are uncomfortable and inconvenient. And in those places, we would see people as you see them. We would have compassion as you have compassion and we would do what we can to help them experience your healing that only you can provide, God. And I thank you that your son, Jesus, whose story we read about breaking the bread, who calls himself the bread of life, willingly goes to a cross to be broken on our behalf. We thank you that in the power of death, we find life. We thank you that your Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead and that same spirit lives in us. And so that is the way in which we walk in this world as your followers and able to do what you do and live as you live, God. We, we, can, we can be that here. And so I ask that we would be that as individuals, that we would take your, your love and your message into all of the, the places that we go. I pray that we would be that as your church, that where there is need, if we have it, we would give it. And I don't know what that looks like or what that means, God, but I pray that we would continue to relinquish and let go of the things that we've held too tightly to that have caused us to miss you. And I thank you for people like Brad. And I thank you for their, their heart to serve you, to give their lives to you. And I pray that we would be inspired by someone like him as well. I pray that you would continue to provide for him continue to provide for each of us, God, what we need. And then beyond that, may we give it away, whether it's our time, whether it's our talent, whether it's our money. God, we love you. And because we love you and because you first loved us, may it be that we can't help but live our lives fully for you and what you have for us. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net. Thanks.